0: I want to pick up John 2, 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The context of what's going on is Jews, when they came up for Passover from the inhabited world around the Mediterranean, They didn't make that journey bringing sheep and sacrifices with them. They waited till they got to Jerusalem, and they would purchase the animals there. Besides that, they had to pay a temple tax. They paid like a temple redemption. Well, they would bring this various coinies from all over the Mediterranean world. They would exchange that, change it, and probably they believe in the Gentiles' court they made it uh, bins for uh, sheep, goats, all of this. Uh, you know, and so you're running. Uh, you've got livestock there, and all of this. And so when you came up to the temple site, you'd hear all this noise. You could hear the sheep. You could hear the cattle. Uh, you can hear the bargaining going on over money and exchange rates. I mean, it was a mercenary, loud, uh, raucous group. And Christ takes his authority, and something is strange when he's able to do what he did. Can you imagine driving a man away from his money and him not beating you up? Why didn't all the money changers jump in and beat Christ up? Some kind of authority. He just cleaned house. Nobody made a step to stop him. It's like when they came to arrest him in the garden and they said, we've come to arrest you. Who are you? I am. And the soldiers fall back. See, his authority, some way exerted that. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? I mean, it's like blasphemy, sacrilege to infer. and a matter of fact, they were building on this building under Herod up to 63 A.D. And what happened in 70 A.D.? Everything they worked 46 years on was plowed under by the armies of Titus. It's a terrible thing that everything you've poured your life into is ready to be plowed under. And as there were a second, 46 years to build this temple. And when you raise it up in three days, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I need to take you to an obscure passage before this even in chapter 1. In the last verse of chapter 1, an obscure passage that I think most of my life about what in the world is he talking about. Verse 51. And he said to him, talking to Nathanael, he'd seen Nathanael under the fig tree, which was too far for the natural eye. So Nathanael picked up, oh something supernatural must be going on that he could see me that far down the road. So then he said to Nathanael, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of a God ascending and descending. And if you're reading Genesis 28, you would say on the ladder of Jacob. Because where this verse is used, it's used when Jacob was fleeing And he's gone to the house of Laban to get away from Esau. He has a prayer meeting. And while he's dreaming, he sees this ladder from earth to heaven. And angels going up and down, up and down. And before he leaves the place, he names it Bethel. I've been at the house of God and I didn't even know it, he said. I was here and didn't discern that God was in this place. And now he's telling Nathanael, Nathanael, I'm here among you and I'm one that would replace Jacob's ladder. I'm going to be the connection of heaven to the earth. And as Jacob saw angels descending and ascending and showing the gate of heaven, I, here Nathanael, I, the son of God, I am the one. The son of man is the ladder. I am the way you connect earth with heaven. Then he comes over to chapter 2 and he says, after he cleanses the temple, I am the temple of God. That is blasphemy to a Jew, sacrilegious. But what is he saying? Let me give you a little history. Back in Exodus 40, uh, Moses had a wrestling match with whether God would stay with his people because God got fed up with them and their sin. And he said, Moses, I'm going to kill the nation. I'll work with you, but I want to kill the people. Moses talked him out of it. Then he said, I'll go ahead of you, Moses, and lead you that way. Moses said, no deal, no deal. You got to go with us. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go. Well, God relents once again. And he reveals the tabernacle, and in chapter 40 of Exodus, God says, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to fill the Holy of Holies with my presence, and the tabernacle will be the place where my presence will live. Heaven is going to visit earth in this ugly-looking badger skin. Some believe it was porpoise hides. We're not sure what the tabernacle was. Curtains were made of, either badger skins or porpoise skins. And he made that, but inside was the glory, the presence of God. And when God told them, move the tent, they moved, and the fire, and the cloud. So God said, I'll live among my people, and the tabernacle will be the center. I'll hang out above the mercy seat. Coming along in 1 Kings 8, David had a great desire After they moved into the land, they put away the tabernacle. They still had the Ark of the Covenant, but the tabernacle folded it up. They weren't moving around anymore. And David got really uh, desirous. Why is it the God of Israel and the Ark of the Covenant is kept out in different fields? Sometimes the Philistines get it. Sometimes it's like in a barn. This represented the Shekinah presence of God. We can do better than this. And so he tells God, I want to build you a house. God says, David, you're too bloody a man. I fought wars through you. I'll build houses through Sal- Solomon. Somebody's got to fight the enemy. And many times they never get to build the house. And David was uh, not given that privilege. But David started giving up his resources. And started collecting the goods needed to build it. And he knows Solomon, his son, gets the privilege. Solomon, the day they build this temple and dedicated it to the Lord, 1 Kings said, The glory of God so filled the temple that the priests couldn't move on the premises. They couldn't walk around. The glory cloud was so thick and powerful, the, the high priest and the priesthood were frozen in their tracks. They couldn't move. The presence of God was made so real and evident on that day. You come to Isaiah sixty-six. He said to Israel, who loved temple, they wanted temple, they wanted Jerusalem, our temple. He said, Who were you to ever think you could build a house big enough to contain me? For the highest heavens can't contain me. I'm bigger than any house you can build. I appreciate your thoughtfulness, Solomon, but I'm bigger than anything you can build. Well, something tragic happens to the nation. The nation begins to fall in love with their neighbors, especially their gods. In Ezekiel 8 through 11, he describes a tragic story. He has Ezekiel caught up when he's down there by the uh, the river Chabar and in, Brook, in Babylon, he catches him up in the spirit and he takes him to investigate the temple in Jerusalem. And when he gets there, the first thing he sees in chapter 8 is an idol that God calls jealousy. You've taken the place that was set apart for me, the place where my glory wanted to be manifested. And you're provoking me at my very house. You've got an idol named Jealousy that's provoking me. And Ezekiel describes sequentially the removal of the Shekinah from the temple. From the Holy of Holies, it moves to the outer court. Then it moves to the outer gate. And then it goes to the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And by the time he gets to chapter 11, the Shekinah the divine presence ascends into the heavens. So God is saying, Israel, your place of worship, I've left. You'll still go on as usual, but my presence will no longer be there. For you've chosen other gods. You're doing abominable things. I'll see that your temple lies in waste. And when you rebuild it, You can rebuild it, but you can't make me house it. I'll leave you an empty temple without the divine presence. And so Babylon comes, ransacks all the gold and all the precious sacred ware that was there. Everything is scattered. And then God sends Zerubbabel and Joshua to go back and rebuild it. And he raises up the prophet Zechariah and Haggai to encourage the people, rebuild what's been wasted. And in Haggai, the people weep when they've rebuilt it and see that its glory has been diminished. It is such a ragtag building compared to Solomon's temple. And they wept. So the glory has left Israel. The divine presence has left. But John begins his gospel, and he uses a word used of the tabernacle in 114. For the word was made flesh and tented out among us. The word will come and hang out in a tent, and the tent will be his body. And he said, the glory that was in the tent back in the wilderness is now in me, and I'm full of glory and grace and truth. Uh, The glory of God is now centered in a person, not in a building, not in Jerusalem, not in an Old Testament temple. It's now centered in Yeshua the Messiah. Then he comes over here to chapter 2, and he sets us up. He first of all says, the old wine of the old dispensation has run out, and I've come to bring you the new wine of myself. The change agent has come. Then he begins to say, I also have come, I'm a temple cleanser. You're a, you've got a form of godliness, but you're devoid of God's power. You look religious. You, you've got all the outworkings. You've still got a priesthood. You're still offering lambs. You, there's one thing missing. God. You draw nigh to him with lips but your hearts far from him. And I'm going to do you people like you've done me. Isaiah said it. You talk to me with lips, but your hearts are wicked. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to talk to you, but I'm going to withdraw my presence. I'm out of here. And poor Judaism for 2,000 years has staggered through the centuries like a drunk man on a London foggy night. They staggered through history. No high priest, no priesthood, no sacrifice, no temple. 2,000 years, the Jewish people have no place to find the presence of God. Where has it escaped? Jesus said, the temple is ended no more. You've turned it into a house of merchandise. You're playing church, as it were. You're having playhouse religion. And I'm a thousand miles from the place. Then he tells them, I am the temple of God. And you can destroy this temple. This temple will have to be crucified. And this temple will rise again. For I am going to become the meeting place of a heaven on earth. If you want to meet God on this earth, you've got to come to Jesus. He's the meeting place. This is where heaven touches the earth in Christ. The temple is my body. Now, I want you to follow me. Do you know how to flip pages in a Bible? It's not real hard. You ready? Start flipping. Ephesians. You got to follow this in the Bible. Ephesians. It's over here to the right. We loan your Bible. Please don't steal it. It's a terrible thing to steal while you're at church. Do it when you get home. Uh, look at Ephesians 2, 2.19. I'm going to show you his temple building, what his program looks like. Where is the temple of God? He said he was the temple. So now he's telling Gentiles that God has included them in salvation. Listen to verse 19. So then you, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you get it? Gentiles who had had no covenants, no prophets, no promises for centuries are now being told, when Messiah came, he's worked out a way to get you in his family. I'm in the Messianic family, friend. I'm in the family, the household of Messiah. Messiah. It ought to make you shout if you knew what I was saying. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, when they laid that cornerstone, the first stone, all the lines to build that building were taken off. If you had a uh, surveyor, he'd get that stone in place and then you Mark out all your lines to keep it square. Christ says, I am the cornerstone. I set the perimeters and the lines of who will be in this temple. I am the focal point. And so he says, you know I am the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Let me tell you about this word joined together. Hear me well. When they built the temple, when Solomon's temple was built, there was never a hammer allowed on the site. And you know what they did to keep the stones together, especially as they rebuilt it? They poured molten lead in between the stones as they rebuilt Herod's temple. There was no hammering on the temple because they would, at the quarry, the architect would send, carve, and engrave. They would dig into that stone so that when they brought it together on the site, it would just clip together. They would just fit together. And if there was any giveaway, they could pour molten lead. But you didn't hammer. You see, while it was in the quarry, the architect had described what it would take when they were digging it out. This is the way to hew the stone. I want you to know when God found you in your sin, the master architect and cornerstone had already figured out where you would fit. And when you came into the body of Christ, you fit because he designed you from the foundation of the world to fit in the body of Christ. I fit because the architect put made me fit. I belong to the cornerstone. And so do you if you know him. He has no warts in the body, just living members. You fit. He added you at the right time in history. He gave you the right spiritual gift. He put you in the right local church. He said, you fit where I put you in this building. I dug you out. I paid for the stone at the cross, but the Spirit did the chiseling at the quarry, and He put you in the body, and you fit. Grow up. You're being joined together in present tense. You're continually growing into a what? Holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Some think this picture of the church is the church as seen in heaven, but notice I'm taking you who are aliens and strangers. I dug you out of the quarry of sin. I fit you in, and you've become my new temple, where God hangs out. Now follow me. Go back to First Corinthians. You turn a little bit this way. I can hear some of your Bibles. It just like makes a noise. It's been so long. I can hear it cracking. Come on, First Corinthians 3. Are you there? And you are got to follow. Watch this. Uh, verse 10, Paul said, God had called him and the apostles to be master builders, and they built on the foundation of Christ. And when they were building, they didn't build with cheap material. They built with gold, silver, and precious stones. If you build with cheap stuff, he said, I'm going to burn it up. God's house isn't to be cheap. Don't build with cheap stuff when you're doing it for God. And Paul said, we didn't use wood, hay, and stubble. We as the leaders of God's church, we gave you the gospel. We gave you a crucified Christ. We told you the truth. Then he goes on, the day will disclose every man's work. But then he comes down to verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. Now now, I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to be a member of the Corinthian church. It's a good place to get sued, good place to lose your wife. A good place to be in a church fight all the time. They're fussing about something all the time. And Second Corinthians is brutal. No preacher wants to read Second Corinthians very often because this tells you how they spit Paul out and say we can't stand you. And every pastor reads 2 Corinthians when his heart's broken. And the people he loves say we can't stand you. Because that's what they did to Paul. Do you not know, Corinth? Don't you know that you are God's temple? Mm. And that God's Spirit dwells in you? The you here, we need to read this in the Texas version. It's you all. Because it's a you plural. Don't you all, you all, talking to the Corinthian believers, you all, you all. I, it might catch on, I might get an accent back. You all. Everybody thinks I'm from those parts. I just was raised by people that were. And we knew more about Oklahoma than we did California because all the good folks seemed to have come from... Well, anyway. So he said, You all, don't you know that you're a temple of God? He's talking to a local church, a church full of problems, a church with all kinds of immaturity, but truly a church. They were born-again people with all kinds of brought the old life. They were still sleeping around. They were suing each other. They they got drunk at the Lord's table. They were mixed up on the resurrection. Uh, they were doing a lot of work without love. Uh, everybody's fighting for the floor to see who's going to talk in tongues the most. Yeah, it, it was a confused place. I don't know if you want to bring your neighbor or your parents to it. Too much confusion. But nevertheless, Paul says, God sent me to the city and I evangelized you and I saw you come to Christ. I saw you walk out of your darkness. I saw you come to forgiveness. And now the Spirit of God indwells the Corinthian local church. He he dwells in that place. And he says, By the way, if anyone destroys God's temple, that local church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Could it be any clearer? A a local church becomes a hangout place for God. It's where he wants to share his glory. I can't understand people say, "I, I know Jesus, I just can't stand church. No, you don't know him. You don't know him. Jesus isn't the head of your company. He's probably not even the head of your home, but he's the head of the church. And he claims the church, even when the church has got lots of problems. That's why you are allowed to attend here. God knows what to do with you with a lot of problems. We seldom get folks that come that got it all together. No, they say, I'm coming here. And you know why I go to church? And I've been going to church a long time, half a century all my life because I went a lot of times against my will and I tell you about being in storefront buildings Pentecostals I grew up with we met everywhere storefront buildings when we met in Holy Ghost Hall we had a dirt floor in the back that Phil Ross got his own potty chair for the little kids I don't. if the inspectors were to come they would have closed us down the dump we met in what a dump to treat, teach our kids back where the bar used to be. Nothing but a dump. And then the real. If that wasn't torture, God said, I could sift this church quick. Go to the real. Now, you think the building was the church or the people that showed up in the building? You, the people, constitute a temple where the Spirit of God dwells. And I think through my life, oh, showing up with ragtag Christians, a lot of them not too smart, not too well trained, didn't dress well, didn't... Man, you wouldn't have ever chosen them. But God did. And God, things would happen. His presence would show up. His presence... I got saved in a building on 15th and Cutting. If the place was packed to the wall, it would be 120 people. Seemed huge as a kid. Just a little old building. I'd go by there. said, wow, that's not big enough for a garage, let alone a church. Well, you know what made the difference? Not the building. Not the location. It was when we got together and we acted like people that the Spirit of God was indwelling. That place turned into a worship center, and heaven touched earth. Heaven touched earth. God shows up in local churches. God sows His power. God saves people. God convicts people. God walks the aisles. He said in Revelation 2, I walk among the lampstands. I'm a member of this church. Matter of fact, I'm the head of it. A matter of fact, I'm still in the temple cleansing business. Some of you are full of dead men's bones. You got a form of God, but you don't know him. You're sleeping with the wrong person, you're drinking the wrong stuff, and you got the wrong practices. And you say you know him, you don't know him, you don't you're grieving, you're hurting him. Matter of fact, if you don't come to him, he's going to depart from you. He's going to take away his spirit. And he's going to let you go where you'll never be bothered with another hymn, with another tug at the heart. Hell has no evangelist. Hell has no hymns. And in hell, you'll never be reminded of anything, but you chose yourself as your own God. And what a miserable allotment to say, I'm stuck with myself for eternity. That's the God I want. It's the God you'll get. But if you want to meet what heaven's got to offer, you come to Jesus. And he puts you in the body of Christ. And then you start meeting with these people called the children of God. You know what? I'm afflicted. I'm afflicted with this. And maybe a little out of my head. After being in the church over 50 years, I still love Christians. Didn't you hear me? You know, people say, "I get my feelings hurt." Oh, get over it. And if you don't buy Eagles, they've got a great little song called "Get Over It." Just get over it. Well, I just kind of... How do they treat you at the local bar? Oh, they treat me good as long as you buy something, honey. They're going to kick you out with a bouncer. They ain't just letting you hang out. You got to give a little revenue. God's local church. You know why? I've been showing up for years. Sometimes it's a world I feel like an alien and a stranger. And I feel a melancholic breeze coming through. That Lord, this is not my home. I like to get a smell of what heaven's like. And I go to some little meetings in some little local church. And I feel like heaven sometimes kisses the earth. And my soul is poured out. And I said, I got a little bit of heaven until I get there because I met with God's people to worship. I didn't grow up being a clock watcher. I didn't grow up, well, when will it be done? Oh, it was done for you when you landed. You ought to come here hungry for God to do something, for God to move. Maybe you've never been around that kind of Christianity. There's only one kind of real Christianity. It's where God shows up in the meeting. It's where it's more than information, it's transformation. He changes you. He changes you. He makes your heart thrilled with Jesus. We used to sing a song, I get so thrilled with Jesus every moment of every day. I get so thrilled with Jesus. He's the truth, the life, the way. Has he come to thrill your soul? That's what the church really is. The people who are thrilled about Jesus. And we meet all kinds. You know, Manny Fernandez was here last week. And now they got 1,700 churches going in Cuba. And I, I said, I just can't hardly believe it. I'll have to see it before I believe it. So uh, Sean and Grant Pinkston, Adrian was gonna go, but was unable to, had a bad injury. And so we went to Cuba. We'd meet in carports uh, from here to maybe where the foxes are, be that long, no sides, and it was plenty hot and manly said this is one of our churches meets in the city and they meet in this carport every week and you get there and you start singing and all of a sudden it was turned into a temple the spirit of God filled that meeting we went to other places you wouldn't even have a rummage sale out of the building it was so bad it broke down started raining on us and uh I mean, you could see through the walls they, there was no, they didn't know what sheetrock was, uh, hogs over here in this area. It's, like I like, it was hot, humid, the rain's coming down and I'm sitting there and Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Castro, you can't keep me from building a church in Cuba. You can't keep me from getting the people to heaven out of Cuba. I'm going to build my church. Communist China, I will build a church. 50 million Chinese believers there. They're persecuting our black brothers in Nigeria. And there's the Obama family here telling us about how their people are being persecuted by the Muslims. You can't keep God from building little local churches all over this globe. And when you drive by, you ought to say, I wonder if God's presence shows up there. And then let me say this. Don't ever try to destroy what it costs the sun to build. If you don't like your local church, find one you can go to without ruining it or intercede for it. It's never a perfect community. We're always flawed. You know the amazing thing about God? God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. We're all a bit crooked. We're all a bit bent, but God can draw a straight line. He's not using us because we've got it all together. He's using us because He's got it all together and He knows what He's doing. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. If I keep going, I might catch fire. I'm trying to lock those back doors. Don't let anybody out. Verse 19, 6, 19, Or do you not know that your body, now he's talking about the individual person, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, Now, now here's what, what bothers me. Can believers go to houses of prostitution? The Corinthians did. He's telling them, don't you know you belong to Christ? Back here in verse 15, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Then he gives the theological reason. Or don't you know that your body is a hangout place for the Holy Spirit? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Believer, hear me. God says your body is to be a sacred hangout for Him. Your body becomes our worship center. Wherever you are, people ought to feel closer to God. Because God walked in the room when you walked in there because you're a member of Christ's body. And Christ, the Spirit indwells you. So you can just say, God just showed up. We're not gods, but we're indwelt by God. And we want to bring the divine aroma of God in the room. There is no business. Be, you're in sin to be a negative, down believer all the time. Why not the aroma of the Spirit? I thought He gave us love, joy, peace, you know, on and on. We are to be solvers of the problem, not the problem. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us. Look at what he says, another verse. Go over to 2 Corinthians, key points, 2 Corinthians 6, and see how this temple theme just keeps running. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's what we tell all our young people. But he wasn't talking about dating exclusively. Uh, it, It involves that, but what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell in them. I will work in them. Uh, i like to say this. The only real building program I believe in is watching a bunch of children come up here that we're hoping get saved. And we, uh, I remember when we couldn't have junior church because we had no facility. We're not in love with facilities. Bank, you can keep it. And a Christ you can have it. We built these facilities so the living members of the body of Christ could find some property set aside for sacred use. And so that the living members of Christ could come here without persecution, that every color, every economic status could come here and be treated equally and feel accepted at the master's table. Because he's building a church of every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And he's been doing it in Valley for years. The diversity is the divine weaving. He picked people out of the quarry and said, I'm going to place them in that local church. And here he's saying, what fellowship do you have as God's temple running with idols? That's the call for holiness he's making. I ask you, do you belong to Christ? Did you know Christ may be visiting this church today and he may want to cleanse the temple. What's going on in your life? Have you lost your song? Have you, uh, have you become a Sunday playhouse Christian? Wow, why will you settle for plastic when you can have gold? Why settle for artificiality when you can have reality? Oh, Sardis, you have a name, you have a name, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Listen to what Tozer says. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the Spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in the middle period of the 20th century. I would that when we came together in this place. See, when I grew up, you couldn't afford counselors, so you went to the altar. I was talking with my wife, saved at eight. In her teen years, when I met her, her folks were drinking themselves to a tragic divorce that broke her heart. Broke her brother's heart. Her brother didn't have God, so he, he went another way and was a lonely, pitiful route. But I remember uh, my wife, a, a very, I would say conservative. Uh, her girls and I, we emote a thousand times more than hers. She's just level-headed Pennsylvania Dutch girl. But I do remember, I do remember many a Sunday night having to wait for her after the service because Pentecostals, we didn't just use the altar to get saved. We ended our services with prayer meetings where we prayed with each other and acted like we cared. And I remember many a night watching my girlfriend then weep at an altar praying for her mom and dad and God give me the strength to stand for Christ in a home that's about to go a thousand ways. You know what it was? God met her there. God met her there. It became a Bethel to her. Surely the Lord was in this place. What we seek to create, so many conservatives are only used to information. And most of their faith is very stagnant the living waters don't bubble. They just use, they want a good sermon, they want to get out on time and please don't bother me because you've never been desperate enough to need one another. A persecuted church in Acts, they needed each other and every member was precious. Just finishing the life story of Mos Rosen, founder of Jews for Jesus, ostracized from his family, kicked out, When he went to his mother's bedside Dying of cancer In Denver, Colorado She said, I don't want to die, Moise I don't want to die I want to live forever like in the movies Is what she said And he said, Mom, I don't want you to die either I want you to have life eternal And then she rose up in the bed And she said, if you're getting ready to tell me The only way I can have life eternal Is in Jesus Christ You go to hell It's the last meeting he had with his mother before she went to hell. He spent the rest of his life trying to reach his Jewish people. There's a way you can live forever. There's a way you can get in touch with heaven. Come to the temple. Jesus Christ, his church is an extent. It's his body. His church, your individual body, you're to represent God on the earth. Let the presence of God fill this church, fill your body, fill you. The new temple is Jesus. He's the new meeting place. Come to him and you'll find the gateway to heaven. It's better than Jacob's ladder. It's a ladder that will never wear out. Father, I pray for men and women in search of the true temple. Let them not be like Israel for 2,000 years. No temple, no priest, no Shekinah no presence of God, just empty, barren Judaism with no Savior, with no sacrifice, just ritual, ritual, routine, ritual, routine, no reality. Yet we have become living stones placed in your temple by the blood of Christ. Let us be worshipers. Don't let us be starers. Let us not be critics. Let us worship. Let us come and meet with God's people, not as haughty old critiquers, but as hungry, thirsty worshipers. I thirst for the living God as a deer on a dry day, and my tongue is parched. Father, I'm praying that your blessings on this 40-day journey where many can step out of the ignorance of what the Bible says about God's plan for finances, personally, corporately. Oh, to think that in 40 days I could figure out how God will be my partner and that He would run my life, my finances. If I could trust you for eternity, surely I could trust you with my checkbook. I can never outgive you, Lord. Oh, what you did when you saved L.J. and Ural and his seven children. Thank you, Lord. Everything we got came from heaven. Everything we've ever felt that was real came from heaven through Jesus. The new ladder to heaven, the new Bethel, the new temple. I'm in that temple now. Holy Spirit, do not be grieved. And Jesus... Cleanse my heart today. If there's any idols in there making you jealous, if I'm bowing to any God in my heart that's making you second or third place, then that God may be money. It may be a relationship. It may be something that, oh, I love it more than God. Oh, before it's eternally too late, I ask that you would bring men and women who hear the word today. Let them come to this new temple that's perfect, holy, and really reveals the glory of God. Do it for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let us stand and sing to the Lord this great old hymn, I Surrender, I Surrender All.